Lesson number 105, Surah At-Tawbah, ayah number 38 to 52. Have you heard of the expedition to Tabuk? Have you heard of Tabuk, by the way? Yeah? Where is Tabuk? I want you to Google it tonight. Okay? Go on Google Maps and type in Tabuk. T-A-B-U-K. And you'll find out that it is where? In Saudi Arabia. Okay? It is in Saudi Arabia. Where? North of Medina. How far from Medina is it? Somewhere between 600 and 700 kilometers. Okay? Have you ever gone for a walk, like a really long walk, and you've checked yourself as to how long you're going for? Like, is it a mile, two miles, one kilometers, five kilometers? Have you gone anywhere like that? Hmm? Anybody goes hiking or something? Okay. So how long does it take to walk, let's say, a kilometer? Yes. Of course, it depends on the speed. Okay, so a brisk walk for an ordinary person, maybe about half an hour. For some people, 20 minutes. For some people, 45 minutes to walk. How much? Just a kilometer. Multiply that by 600 times. How long would that take if you're walking? Imagine how long would that take? It would take a really, really long time. So the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, how many? 30,000. They all went to Tabuk from Medina. Why? Let's find out why. Because it doesn't make sense to go so far on your foot or 20 men sharing one camel, so taking turns one after the other, going all the way to Tabuk. Have you ever traveled really far? Hmm? How is it? Not fun. Fun is when you get there. But the journey itself, no fun at all. I remember years, years ago, we went to northern Pakistan because it's really beautiful. And we were told that it's amazing, it's beautiful, so we have to go. So we're like, okay, good. So we took a flight to this particular city and from there we had to drive. And basically we were driving through mountains and all those roads were covered by rock. Why? Because landslides are very common over there and obviously road work is something that keeps getting delayed and delayed because there's so many other urgent things to do. So you can imagine we were on the road for like eight plus hours, sometimes three hours in a row, sometimes five hours in a row, bumpy, bumpy, bumpy. And oh my God, how I wished I could just fly out of that car and go home. It was very difficult. Have you ever sat on a camel? Anybody? How is that camel ride? Nice and smooth, is it? No, not at all. People go on a camel for like 10 minutes and they say, Oh, oh, something happened to my back. And the next day you feel all the aches and pains. Right? And you sat on the camel, why? Just for fun. Just for fun. So at least there was that excitement that, oh, I got to sit on a camel. Now imagine the Prophet ﷺ and his companions going almost 700 kilometers, either on foot 
or sitting on camels, such a long journey, such a difficult journey, in extreme hot weather, at a time when there was drought. When there was drought. Why? For fun? No. You know why? For the purpose of battle. Imagine. The journey itself was so difficult. And what lay ahead of that journey was supposed to be even more difficult. Why? Were they going to get richer? Were they getting paid for every second and minute? Would they be able to share photos with their families? I went here and saw this and saw that. And tell their children about their adventures? What was the reason? Why did they go? Why did they undertake such a difficult journey? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In order to do jihad fi sabidillah. My dear sisters, sometimes it happens that we get tired because it's so cold outside. And we have to put on our boots and put on our jackets and get our children ready. And then clean the car. And then wait for the car to warm up. And then go sit in the car. And then drive. And then get to our destination. But alhamdulillah, at least when we get to our destination, we can take our jackets off and sit in a warm, cozy place. So cozy that we fall asleep sometimes. But yet, unfortunately, we complain. We complain it's too difficult. I'm too tired. I need a break. Can't wait. How many days left till the March break? Isn't it? We're always counting down to when our next break will be. But we see that the attitude of the Prophet ﷺ of his companions was completely different. They undertook expeditions which were a thousand times more difficult than ours. A thousand times more difficult. But they did not complain. They strove And with each day their striving got harder and harder. Why? Because this life is a struggle. Each day that you live is supposed to be more difficult than the previous. Why? Because you have more on your plate each day. Yesterday you were single, today you're married. Tomorrow you have one child, day after you have another one. And then you have more and more responsibilities as you grow older. Right? So this is true with regards to the worldly sense and also in the religious sense. And only when a person is going forward in his life are his challenges increasing. Correct? If he's going backwards or if he's stagnant, he's not progressing, then his challenges are not going to increase. So the Prophet ﷺ, the companions, they went forward in the way of Allah undertaking such difficult expeditions Why? Jihad fi sabilillah. To preserve this religion. To pass it on. Because otherwise, people are going to burn in hell for eternity. If we sit back and enjoy our lives in our comfortable homes, and don't take that extra step and inconvenience ourselves, you know what the consequence is? People are going to burn in the hellfire. Forever. Because they're not going to know about what Tawheed is. They're not going to know about what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to refrain from. Because those who have that knowledge are too comfortable in their lives. Was it cold this morning? Come on, it was cold. Minus 13. We asked Siri this morning. And Siri said, not looking good today. Minus 13 with a wind chill. 
And as we're getting ready, putting on our children's snow pants and jackets and everything, we hear the doorbell. We're like, what's happening? Who is that? A knock on the door and we open, there's a lady and she's saying, I know you weren't expecting me, but I just have something very small to share with you. And then when she saw that we were getting ready to leave, she said, you must be in a hurry, but I just want to share this with you as to how you can make the best use of your time. And we turned it, JW, Jehovah Witness. Walking outside in this cold and wind, promoting their faith. And what do we think? Well, you know what? I prayed my salah, so that's enough. I have my children, my family, my house. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask me about my responsibilities as a woman towards my children, towards my husband. I'm answerable. So I have to make sure that my children are bathed, they've eaten well, and there's plenty of food in the house, and my house is pick and span, and everything is set. Really? Is that why we were created? To serve a house? To make a house? To serve a house that's going to be one day demolished? To look after children and spend our entire lives doing that who are one day going to go their own ways, who are going to form their own lives. Is this why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us our youth? The time, the talent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us, is it just so that we can stand in front of the stove and cook? Or just so that we can sit in front of the computer and browse our favorite recipes? And favorite ways to dress up and shop? Is this why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made us? No. For a different reason. And the companions of the Prophet ﷺ understood that. And this is the reason why they left the comfort of their homes and went on this expedition 600 plus kilometers in the heat of the summer, walking through the desert on their foot. 18 people sharing one camel. People eating dates or leaves just to survive because they did not have food. Uthman had a whole lot of Camels that were ready to go on a business trip. He basically had a whole caravan set. But instead of sending it for his business, what did he do? He spent all of that in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine spending all your savings for the sake of Allah? If somebody did that, we'd say they're crazy. They're becoming too much of an extremist. But they took responsibility of the religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them. They valued that blessing and they didn't want to keep it to themselves only. They wanted to take it forward. And this is why they strove. And here we need to reflect on ourselves, that what is the level of our striving? What is it that I am doing in the way of Allah? What is it that I am giving up, that I am sacrificing for this religion that has brought me peace, that has brought me happiness? What am I doing? What am I doing to take it forward? When people are suffering, miserable, unhappy, and I am at peace because I'm doing dhikr of Allah, how is that fair that I'm not telling other people about the same dhikr so that they can also find peace? So really, we need to think about it. So this expedition to Tabuk, the Prophet ﷺ undertook. Why? Remember that the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, one of the clauses was that between the Muslims and the Mushrikeen, there will be no battle for how long? Ten years. So from the mushrikeen, the Prophet ﷺ was basically at peace, meaning he didn't expect any danger from them. Because from the time that the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, year after year, what was happening? Battle with the mushrikeen, one thing after the other. 
Alright? And all of the Muslims' energies were directed to self-defense. Correct? But now after this treaty, the Prophet ﷺ, he decided to call other people, the non-Arabs, to Islam. Why? Because he was sent as a messenger, not just to the Arabs, but to who? All of mankind. And this is amazing. It's like he's opening another chapter. It's like as if someone is inviting more trouble. Hmm? What happens is, that if you have a big problem to deal with, and finally when it's over, or you're temporarily relieved from it, what do you want to do? Take a break. Right? Relax. Enjoy. Have some fun. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your friends. Go party. Go do something. You know, take it easy. But what is the Prophet ﷺ doing? If not this, then something else. فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ So what did he do? He sent letters. He sent letters to who? To the rulers, to the kings of Abyssinia, Persia, Egypt, Rome, Basra, governor of Bahrain, Yamama, Damascus, Oman. So basically all the neighboring areas, all of their kings, their rulers, their governors, whatever it was, whoever it was, whatever political system was in place, whether it was a superpower or not, the Prophet ﷺ sent a letter to them, addressed directly to them, inviting them to Islam. Now remember that Rome and Persia were the two major superpowers of that time. Have you read about the Byzantines, the Byzantines, however you want to call it, in history? The Persians, the Romans, right? They were superpowers. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ even sent a letter to them. Now, many of these letters that he sent were well received. There was a positive response. And that means that many embraced Islam. But there were others who showed hostility. Such hostility that some tore the letter of the Prophet ﷺ apart out of pride and arrogance. And others, they killed the envoys of the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, the person whom the Prophet ﷺ had sent with the letter, that person was killed. And you know what? An envoy, a messenger, you know, someone like, for example, an ambassador to a country is what their representative. And if you tell the ambassador, leave, that's like what? That's like showing we're not friends anymore. And if the ambassador is killed, what does that mean? We're at war with you. Okay? So when they killed the ambassadors of the Prophet ﷺ, this was a display of hostility, of enmity, basically saying, we don't care about you, come fight with us if you really want. This was declaring war. So one of the ambassadors of the Prophet ﷺ, who was sent to Basra, and basically that was part of Rome, he was intercepted by an ally of the Roman king. And that envoy of the Prophet ﷺ was killed. Now remember that Rome, next to Arabia, but in the middle, there were Arab tribes that had alliances with the Romans. So we're talking just about the Romans. We're not talking about the Abyssinians or the Persians or anything. We're just talking about the Romans over here, okay? So the envoy of the Prophet ﷺ sent, he was killed. Okay? Now, between Rome and Arabia, there is what? Arab tribes. Now, because they're living at the border, they're living at the border, what do they want? 
that we are friends with these people and those people. Why? So that we are safe. So there were Arabs. So obviously other Arabs would be okay with them. Now these Arab tribes had alliances with who? The Romans. So basically they were pro-Roman. You understand? They were pro-Roman. Now these Arab tribes, they didn't have any treaties with the Prophet ﷺ. The Mushrikeen of Makkah, other tribes, they had treaties. But these tribes living at the border, they didn't have any treaties. What did they do? They began showing hostility to the Prophet ﷺ. A, they were pro-Roman. And B, they were showing hostility to the Prophet ﷺ. And why? They killed. And they also did other things. So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ, he sent a group of Muslims, okay, and this is just before the conquest of Makkah, just before the conquest of Makkah, in the eighth year after Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ dispatched an army of 3,000 men. How many? 3,000 men. Led by Zayd bin Haritha. Who was Zayd bin Haritha? Freed slave of the Prophet ﷺ, whom he called his son also. Remember? And then later on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade that an adopted child be called a son, meaning he should be addressed by his biological father's name. Okay. So anyway, Zayd bin Haritha, who was very beloved to the Prophet ﷺ, was sent as a leader of this group of Muslims, 3,000 men. And in this army was also Khalid ibn Walid. So this group of 3,000 Muslims, they headed towards Mu'tah. Mu'tah. Meme, wow, with a hamza on it, and ta with a tamal buta at the end. Mu'ta. Mu'ta is basically a village that lied on the border of Syria, Asham, and Asham at that time was part of the Roman Empire. And here, what happened was that these Arab tribes that were pro-Roman, they got together with the Romans, and they gathered 200,000 men. How many? 200,000 men. 3,000 Muslims come from here, and the Romans, they've gotten together 200,000. And this was a mix of Roman troops, as well as these pro-Roman Arab tribes. Now, the Prophet ﷺ had given clear instructions. If Zayd bin Haritha is killed, then so-and-so will be the leader. If he is killed, then so-and-so will be the leader. Because he was a prophet of Allah, he expected something like this to happen. So what happened? A fierce battle took place. Fierce battle. And one after the other, the leaders of the Muslims, they fell. Okay? Ja'far bin Abi Talib was one of them. And you know what? It is said that in Bukhari, we learned that he had over 50 stab wounds on his body. But you know what? Not even a single on his back. Why? Why? 50 stab wounds on his body. Not even one at his back. Why do you think so? Because he just kept going forward and he never turned his back. No matter how difficult it was, he never ever turned his back. And you know what? When the Muslims were there before the battle, some of the Muslims have said, let's send a letter to the Prophet ﷺ, inform him of the situation. Should we even go ahead? Should we go back? What should we do? But the other companions, they insisted. They said, no, we've come here. We have to go forth. So anyway, fierce battle. Then eventually, when one after the other, the leaders of the Muslims, they fell. Khalid bin Walid, he took charge. Because he had a lot of experience. 
He was the one who led the mushrikeen to their victory at the battle of Uhud against the Muslims. But now as a Muslim, he's fighting on the side of the Muslims. Okay? And this is the amazing part. So anyway, Khalid bin Walid was very clever. He was a very intelligent man. What did he do? He swapped the sides of the army. So basically the right flank of the army, he told them, move to the left. And the left part of the army, he said, move to the right. So the Roman army that was so big, they didn't have to reshuffle their ranks at all. The people standing on the left side, now they're seeing new faces from the side of the Muslims. And the people on the right side, they're seeing new faces. So they thought, oh my, reinforcements? Reinforcements are coming? And Khalid bin Walid kept doing that in different ways. And then what happened, eventually he decided that we have to retreating. Is that allowed from the battlefield? No, unless it is part of war strategy. So he told the Muslims, we're going to retreat together, collectively, in a very organized way. And when they did that, the Romans were already puzzled. So they thought, oh, these people are taking us. You know, they're going back and they're taking us to the heart of the desert. And then more troops must be waiting for us and they're going to attack us from all sides and we're going to be done. So what happened? The Romans, they fled. Can you imagine 200,000 chased away by 3,000? This was whose help? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help. Right? This was the battle because of which Khalid bin Walid, he got the title Saifullah. Because he used eight, eight swords that day. He broke them one after the other. He fought so courageously, so firmly. Now, this battle, I mean, this didn't mean that the Muslims were victorious and it didn't mean that the Romans were victorious. But it showed to the Romans that the Muslims aren't afraid of you anymore. They can come to face you. You can't threaten them anymore. Because you see, until now, the Romans didn't care about the Arabs. The Arabs, Bedouins, scattered. They're lost in their internal fights. Who cares about them? There's nothing in Arabia. There was no oil that was discovered back then. Okay? So they didn't have any interest in Arabia at all. But now, all of a sudden, this rising power... The Romans were concerned that one day they're going to come attack us. So this is why they killed the envoy of the Prophet ﷺ and they prepared an army of 200,000 to face the Muslims. But when this battle was not successful, the Romans were aggravated. They said, we have to do something about it. They felt insecure. They felt insecure. They had to do something about this. So what happened? Again, they started gathering up their forces, okay, in order to attack the Muslims. Now, fast forward to after the conquest of Mecca. The battle of Mu'ta took place soon after conquest of Mecca, all right? And then after that, what happened? The Muslims received news, and this is in the ninth year after Hijrah, before the Prophet ﷺ went for Hajjat al-Wada'ah, the Muslims received news that the Romans are getting together in order to attack Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ, he decided that instead of the Romans coming here, what are we going to do? We're going to go there. Why? Why did he decide that? It was such a difficult journey. Why did he want the Romans to stay where they were and fight them at the border and not let them come into Arabia. Why? 
Yes. Yes, they could pick up more allies moving along. This would disturb the stability that had just happened, right? That had just taken place. After the conquest, finally the people were accepting the authority of the Prophet ﷺ. Finally there was some peace, some stability in the peninsula. And with the Romans coming in, attacking Medina, it might be difficult for the Muslims to fight them. So the Prophet ﷺ did not want the Romans to come in. So he decided that everyone is going to go to Tabuk, to Rome, and fight the Romans over there. Generally, the way of the Prophet ﷺ was, any battle, he wouldn't tell the people from before, this is what we're going to do. Remember the battle of Badr? Did they plan it? No. And otherwise also, when the Prophet ﷺ went for an expedition, he wouldn't tell everybody to come along. Alright? He would send a group of Muslims. And that meant that some were allowed to stay behind. But at this occasion, the Prophet ﷺ made it very clear that every single person has to participate. He even sent word to Makkah and the other Arab tribes, come, we're all going to go together. So is it clear? The Prophet ﷺ made it very clear. Everybody has to go. And there was a lot of fear in the Muslims, a lot of hesitation a lot of reluctance. Why do you think there was reluctance? Because they had heard about the battle of Mu'tah, where 200,000 Romans showed up. And now if they're preparing for their next battle, you're not expecting 200, you might be expecting 50. I mean, they're Romans. Much larger empire. Many, many more people. Many more allies. So firstly, they were afraid of the Romans themselves, because they were a superpower. And what were the Arabs? Nothing compared to them. Financially, alright, in their numbers. So that was the fear, fear of the enemy. The other fear was, what do you think? The journey. Going all the way in this hot weather, when we've just been victorious, when it's time to relax and enjoy, now we have to go 600 plus kilometers with what? What are we going to eat? What are we going to sit on? What are we going to ride? And when we get there, what are we going to fight with? So there was a lot of hesitation, fear. And of course, the munafiqeen, what was their role always? Create confusion in the Muslims. Create fear. Make them lose their confidence. So that was happening. And there was so much fear that Umar anhu. Once what happened was, remember Umar and his companion, both of them would take turns. One day, one would spend his day with the Prophet ﷺ, and he would come back in the evening and share everything with the other. And then the other day, the other would take his turn. Right? They would take turns in spending their day with the Prophet ﷺ. So one day, Umar did not go. It was not his turn. It was his friend's turn. So when he came back in the evening, he's banging on the door of Umar where is he? Is he sleeping? Umar, Umar. So Umar who came out, what happened? Have the Romans come? And he said, no. The Prophet ﷺ divorced all his wives. That didn't actually happen. That's what they thought had happened. Because the Prophet ﷺ swore that he was not going to go to any of them for a whole month. Because he was upset because of something that had happened. Something normal happens between couples, okay? That's another story. But this just shows to us how terrified the Muslims were in general. They were expecting the Romans any time. So Umar Abdullah said, have the Romans come? What happened? Why are you freaking out? So anyway, the Prophet ﷺ decided everybody has to go. 
and preparations were made. But because the journey was long, it was difficult, and the Muslims had very few resources, no matter what they got together, even if they spent everything they had, it was not enough. It was not enough. Remember, this was the time when Abu Bakr who he brought, what? 100% of his everything. Whatever he possessed, he basically brought it. Umar anhu, how much did he bring? 50%. Right? Uthman anhu, like I mentioned to you earlier, he had 200 some camels, horses, whatever, ready to go for some business trip. And what did he do? He gave all of that for this expedition. And he brought a thousand dinar and gave that to the Prophet ﷺ also. A whole lot of gold, he gave that also. Some companions, they brought silver, others brought gold. And some brought just a bushel of dates, just a handful of dates, because that's all that they could afford. But they gave. The sincere believers, they spent whatever they could. And there were other believers who didn't have anything. And they wept and cried because they couldn't afford to go. There was nobody to sponsor them and they couldn't afford the journey themselves either. So they cried because of that inability. So we see that amongst the Muslims there were those who were very sincere, looking forward despite the difficulty and there were others who were hesitant. Put yourself in that situation and ask yourself, would you go ahead or would you be hesitant? Six hundred plus kilometers walking. Would you be hesitant or would you be like, yes, ready to go? What would make you go? What would make you go? Think about it. What would make you go? Your iman. Right? Because otherwise it doesn't make sense. It's completely illogical. Drought. Okay? Less food. You're exhausted. The journey is very long. Are you crazy? Why are you going? Who would go? The one who's really passionate about his faith. The one who's really committed to his faith. So there were Muslims who were committed like this. And they went forth. And there were others who were hesitant. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the hesitant ones, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, O you who have believed, Malakum. What is wrong with you? What happened to you? إِذَا قِيلَ لَكُمْ When it was said to you, Infiru, go forth fi sabilillah in the way of Allah. What happened to you? Ithaqaltum ilal art. You adhered heavily to the earth. Ithaqaltum from the root letters thaqaf lam. What does that mean? To be heavy. Ithaqaltum ilal art means that you felt the weight and the burden. And because of that, you clung to the earth. You didn't have the energy to move on. You know like if you are carrying something heavy, heavy, will that slow you down? Will it? Yes or no? Of course it will. Now, things are heavy. Obviously things, tangible, physical things, when they're heavy and you're carrying them, it affects your speed. But sometimes it's not a tangible load that you're carrying on your head. It's an intangible load that you're carrying. And what happens? Like for example, somebody tells you, you hate to do dishes, for instance. And your mom tells you, your turn to do the dishes tonight. How are you going to walk towards the kitchen? You're going to drag your feet. Isn't it? 
And if somebody tells you, there's a surprise for you on the kitchen table, how are you going to go? Even if you're really tired, you're going to run. Isn't it? Even if your foot is hurting, you're going to run. So what is it that makes you light, passion? What is it that makes you slow and lazy? What? Burden. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what happened? When you were told, infiru fi sabilillah, itha qaltum ilal ard. And by the way, this word infiru, noon fara, nafara. Nafara is basically to go forth, running towards something as a group. It's basically when a people are going out together, rushing towards something, chasing it with zeal, with enthusiasm. So like for example, a very energetic group of fighters, when they go out, they can't wait to fight. Right? It's like when you see a team coming into the field, what are they doing? Jumping. They can't stand still. You're like, come on, stand still already so that the game can start. But they're just too excited. Too excited. They can't sit in one place. So when you are told, إِنْفِرُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ You adhered heavily to the earth. You didn't want to go ahead. You became lazy. You dragged your feet. أَرَضِيتُمْ بِالْحَيَاةِ dunya. Are you just happy with the life of this world? You're satisfied with this? The life of this world? You're happy with this? This has satisfied you? And you're not looking forward to anything greater? Why not? أَرَضِيتُمْ بِالْحَيَاةِ dunya. Why is it that you're not rising up to the challenge, you're not going forth in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you're too comfortable in your house? What is the house of this world compared to the house of Jannah? A very low standard, right? The house of this world, what is it? And you're happy with that? It's like somebody gives you five bucks and says, come here, do something, and you'll get a thousand. You're like, no, five. I like my five bucks, I'm not coming. She'd be like, use your mind. What's wrong with you? It's only five. Get up, do something, and you'll make a thousand. No, my five. Isn't this childish behavior? So when we become happy with the life of this world and don't go forward in the way of Allah, this is being satisfied with something that is so petty. You don't want to get out of your house? Your house is too comfortable, nice and clean and spacious. You're enjoying it. What is this house compared to the mansions of Jannah? You're happy with the food of this world? With the cool water, with the dates, with the desserts of this world? What is this food compared to the food of Jannah? That is real food. And you're satisfied with this? أَرَضِيتُمْ بِالْحَيَاةِ dunya. Why? Why are you happy with this? مِنَ الْآخِرَةِ Instead of the hereafter. You're letting go of the hereafter to get the benefits of the dunya. Because the thing is that when a person goes out in the way of Allah, then what does he get? Reward in the akhirah. So you're giving that up. You don't want it so that you can enjoy this world. In a hadith we learn, the Prophet ﷺ, he once said about the people who don't go to the masjid to perform prayers. And this is specifically with regards to men. That one day the Prophet ﷺ was so furious. He said, I wanted that I should tell somebody to give the adhan, to lead the people in prayer, and that firewood is brought, and it is lit, and I take that fire, and go see who is not coming for prayer, and burn their house down on them. This is how furious he was. 
And he said that by Allah, if one of them knew that he would find in the masjid a meaty bone or two good hooves, he would come happily. He would come readily. And this is true. If there is a party at the masjid, even if it's that typical biryani that's going to be served, what happens? People come happily, free dinner, free dinner. But if it comes to Isha, oh, too tired. Too tired. I've got so much to do. I don't have time. I'm exhausted. This, that, list of excuses. Allah says, أَرَضِيتُمْ بِالْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا مِنَ الْآخِرَةِ What is this meaty piece of bone and two good hooves compared to endless, endless pleasures in Jannah? But it's sad that people are satisfied with less here, willing to give up much more that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to offer to the muhsineen. When a person goes to the masjid, for every step he takes, a sin is forgiven, a daraja is raised for every step. Every single step. Imagine. But what happens? We will drive an hour we will drive every day to school and back, to work and back. But when it comes to going to the masjid, we say, oh no, too tired. Assalamualaikum. Uh, what you're referring to is called delay of gratification. And according to studies, like people who have that skill and who can delay gratification are actually more successful in the long run, just in this life. But can we imagine how successful they'll be in heaven? What happens is that we want immediate results, right? I go to the masjid, there should be dinner. No dinner, I'm not going. Reward in the akhirah, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Allah is most generous, He'll reward everyone anyway. Eventually we'll make it to paradise. We don't want to defer. We don't want to delay that reward. Aisha? So that's why we are so close to the dunya and we want everything right away. Yes. And the word akhirah is last, next, which is like, so we don't look forward for it. Yes, dunya is closer and akhirah is farther. So we want dunya, and we don't want the akhirah because it seems too far. But the thing is that there's nothing that is valuable except that it's difficult to get. Isn't it so? If you want your degree in one month, and you say, if it takes me six years, I'm not doing it. One month only. Will you get it? No, too bad, don't have it then. If you want that degree, you have to study for six years. You have to study for four years. Anything that's worth it requires from you time, sacrifice, delayed gratification. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَرَضِيتُمْ بِالْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا مِنَ الْآخِرَةِ If the dunya is what you want, then remember that فَمَا مَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا فِي الْآخِرَةِ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ then the enjoyment, mata'ah, the enjoyment of worldly life compared to the akhirah is nothing except very little. Compare dunya to the akhirah. What is little? What is less? The dunya. Jannah is what? Arduha samawat wal ard. Jannah itself is so massive that its width alone is the size of the heavens and the earth combined. Combined. Imagine. That's the size of Jannah. Each person in Jannah will be the owner of massive property. Jannat. Why do you think Jannah is called Jannah? Jannah is what? A garden. And a garden can be as big as you want it to be. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make people owners of Jannat. 
within paradise. And dunya, remember, no matter how much a person has of it, no matter how much a person can enjoy in it, no matter how much a person can live in it, it is shorter, it is lesser compared to the akhirah. Always, in every way. If a person lives a long life of a hundred years on this earth, will that hundred years eventually come to an end? Yes. After that hundred years is what? Life in the grave, in the barzakh. Will that be a hundred years? Fifty years? Allahu alam. It could be thousands. And imagine people who died at the time of Nuh salam. So the life of barzakh alone is longer compared to the life of this world. After the life of barzakh comes what? The day of judgment. Fifty thousand years. And after that is what? The home of eternity. Eternity. So if a person clings to a cent and gives up a million, isn't he crazy? Isn't he making a very dumb choice? If he had even a little bit of wisdom, if he used his mind a little bit even, he would realize that a million is worth more than a cent. I should give up the cent and go for that million. But unfortunately, the cent seems so precious to us because it seems that this is all we know. Like for example, a child, if all he knows is a candy, will he care about greater things? No. Because the only joy he's experienced is that particular candy. You'll convince him, no, no, this is much better. Leave this, it's much better. He said, no, no, I want this, I want this. Stubborn, foolish. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa I was listening to a lecture where they said, Imam from back in the day, I can't remember his name, said, give akhir is too right, the deen is too right, and the dunya is too right. So compared to akhir and dunya, what is it? It's like infinity compared to nothing, right? So work more for akhir than you would in the dunya, but at least give the dunya its right because it is worth one wing of a mosquito compared to yeah. That this world, its value compared to the Akhirah is what? Like a drop of water. In a hadith we learned the Prophet ﷺ said that the life of this world compared to the hereafter is just like when one of you dips his finger in the sea. Dips his finger in the sea. Let him contemplate how much of it his finger would carry. What your finger got is the dunya. And the sea is what? The Akhirah. So what is worth it then? What is worth preferring? The hereafter. He was quoting something that I think Imam Ashafi said a quote, and the quote was that this moment, this dunya is a moment, so make it a moment of obedience. Because if you make it a moment of obedience, then there is, a, there is an eternity of happiness and pleasure and success. And if this moment is a moment of disobedience, then there is an eternity of trouble and difficulty. It doesn't mean that the life of this world is not important. It's actually very important. Because based on how you live is how your future will be. This is why a person must spend this life very wisely. So, أَرَضِيتُمْ بِالْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا فَمَا مَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا فِي الْآخِرَةِ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ Recitation. Yeah. 